This morning, we are going to uh, begin, and already been alluded to, prayed for, and kind of focused on, we're, we're making a long trek into uh, Easter Sunday, or shall I say, Resurrection Sunday. We begin the journey today. And now, this isn't uncommon. This isn't a unique thing that we just came up with and we're so creative. It is actually not uncommon to contemplate Passion Week, and sometimes referred to as Holy Week. Well, what is that? That is the last week of Jesus's life, right? It's just a significant time frame that it's very, very, very common to take space and to consider that last week of his life. Now, so that's not uncommon, but what is uncommon is to take seven weeks to do that. Uh, usually Passion Week is just that. It's the last week of Jesus' life, and they take each day, they think about whatever Jesus is doing in that particular day. Well, what we intend to do is to take each Sunday and cover each day. So we're going to take the next seven Sundays and look at the last week of Jesus' life. And now you may be wondering, well, that's, you know, interesting, but have you ever thought about this? Considering the Gospels give the last week of Jesus, oh, oh, you scared me there. Uh, hey there, fella. Um, <laughs> If you think about how the Gospels, they actually give, if you notice in the Gospels, they give the last week of Jesus' life, they actually give it the most space when they're doing their account. So just by sheer amount of time and effort they give to that last week of Jesus' life, it, it's kind of wise for us to do the same, give space and time to think about the last week of Jesus' life. So each Sunday from here to Easter to Resurrection Sunday, we're going to track Jesus. We're going to contemplate the things that he is doing and saying. Now, if you have ever fought through the last week of Jesus' life, there's a few days where there's a lot of activity, right? And so we may choose to decide to focus on particular things that occur. Uh, but we are uh, super excited about this for our church family. Anytime we spend extra time focused on Christ, well, that's wise <laughs> and that's thoughtful. So today, let's start by reading Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11. Over the next seven weeks, we're going to look at Matthew's account of this last week of Jesus' life. And this is commonly known as Palm Sunday. We're a little early on Palm Sunday, but I think we will uh, benefit greatly. So let's start by reading Psalms, uh, Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11. It'll be up on the screens for you, or you can follow along as I read. Um, so chapter 21 of Matthew, last week of Jesus' life starts this way. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, Well, the Lord needs them, and he'll send them at once. Verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of the beast of burden. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he set on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on 
the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is a prophet, Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Here on this first major event of Passion Week or Holy Week, Jesus gives specific and we might say odd instructions to the disciples to go retrieve a donkey and a colt that would be tied up, seemingly just waiting for them. If anyone asks them, they are to simply say, oh, well, the Lord needs them. He'll send them back. Don't worry. What, a, what, what oddities are just in this moment? But this morning, what is odd details is actually a divine plan unfolding right before their eyes. It's not just about a donkey. It's not that Jesus is tired. He needed to get off his feet. I mean, at this point, they've walked many miles. So just a few more miles really isn't that difficult. And the disciples don't seem to need to take a donkey ride. Well, Matthew makes the connection for us. There is so much more happening. It's not just odd details, but a divine plan unfolding. Verse 4, Matthew brings us in and connects the dots. He says that this, what's this? Donkey <laughs> coming for Jesus to ride. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. A donkey is exactly how it was supposed to be. It's actually not odd. This tiny moment of the last week of Jesus' life, it is establishing that all that is about to go down, and it's going to get crazy, but everything that is about to go down is exactly how it is supposed to be. Zechariah 9.9 proves that fact and it proves much more. Just like we saw in Hebrews, just like we saw at the beginning of Matthew, they dig into the Old Testament to put before us to say this is exactly God's divine plan working out. So what Matthew seems to be picking up on, he makes plain for us. Zechariah 9.9, it proves the fact, but what we're going to learn is it proves much, much more. You see, this little donkey ride that Jesus orchestrates, that he does, that he puts together, this little ride is him declaring that he himself is the righteous Davidic king. That he himself is what they've all been looking for to make it a little bit more plain. You may be thinking, all that from a donkey ride? Yes. 
And not only all that from this ride and that quote, but see, the crowd affirms it with their declaration. Matthew 21, 9 says, And the crowds that went before him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They must intuitively know of Zechariah. And maybe not even only Zechariah, but they must intuitively understand a host of other Old Testament texts that is unfolding in front of them. That what is happening in front of them is not just a donkey ride. It is God's divine plan unfolding in front of them. They see the events in their eyesight as significant. They see the one that's upon the donkey, that he is actually a king. But see, this king is coming a bit differently. He's coming humbly. And I don't want us to miss the words, the actual words of the prophecy and what the imagery is actually provoking. Humble, mounted upon a donkey, a beast of burden. You see, the king, Jesus, rides in, and this ride says a lot about his kingship, about his work. You see, he, as king, will rule in humbleness, but he'll also rule with full-on righteousness. Complete, utter obedience to God, doing what God has instructed him to do. This king is a bit different. His reign will be marked by full righteous living, doing, whether you like it or not, what is best for all. You see, his reign will be marked by humbleness, doing, whether you like it or not, what's best for all. This isn't a selfish king, but a humble king, full of obedience, full of righteousness. You know as well as I do, Jesus is no ordinary king. But can you appreciate (laughs) at the beginning of his last journey into Jerusalem, where by the way his kingdom, his rule and reign, will be on display. Where he will deliver a death blow to his enemy. He enters as the humble, righteous one. And the crowd seems to have some understanding. To them, it's not odd details, but there's more that is occurring. Now, Zechariah 9.9 is actually found in a context where it's declaring that at the culmination of Israel's enemies uh, being defeated, that the king comes in. It's almost word for word what we find in Zechariah. He comes humbly. What does this mean? Well, meaning that he's obedient to God in all ways. Humbly listening to God, believing that God knows more. God the Father has sent him. His humility is on display because he listens to God the Father. This seems to be what Zechariah 9.9 is doing. Zechariah 9.9 highlights righteous, which means 
because of the humbleness and obedience unto the Lord, to God the Father, that he will bring salvation. That he's the one riding on this donkey that is going to bring salvation. Not only is he described and humble in righteousness, but he's riding a donkey in that scene as well. And this is to show a, a, a significant contrast, right? He's not mounted on the standard military horse, but on a donkey, signifying peace has come, saying that his conquest is so comprehensive that peace is upon the land. So this seems to be what Zechariah is putting forward. This is what's going to happen at the culmination of victory. And here the Gospels, Matthew carried along by the Holy Spirit, and did you catch Jesus orchestrating, hey guys, go get a donkey because this is so significant. It doesn't take much for the Gospel writers to pick up and they see Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem as, oh, you know, I can almost see him going, oh, man, look what is happening. What is occurring? They see that what Jesus is orchestrating, they understand that what he is doing is he's saying something about this last entrance into Jerusalem. See, he's coming to Jerusalem before, but he's never done it in this way. So in orchestrating this moment, he's saying something about this last trek. Now, you know, Zechariah 9.9 talks about the culmination of the victory that this would occur. And though the work and the culmination of all he's going to do is just ahead, he's signaling it is coming. Victory is to occur. Just by orchestrating this little donkey ride, he is pulling people into the larger meta-narrative of what God is doing. See, he is riding in with clear teaching about himself. He is not unaware of all that God is doing. This simple ride is declaring and teaching clearly what is about to come, victory righteousness, full obedience, his rule and reign to be seen. He rides in as the humble and righteous king, signifying and to make plain fully obedient is what this is underneath all of this, fully obedient to God the Father, and he will bring salvation and peace through very different means. Just the initial ride in is showing that this is going to come about in a very different way. Well, as I said earlier, the crowd seems to pick up on what is happening as well, right? Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest. Do you know they borrow from the Psalms to describe what they are seeing? Just total side note, healthy practice to borrow from the Psalms of what you're feeling, of what you are thinking. They borrow from the Psalms. They're seeing this thing unfold in front of them. And they go back and they begin to rehearse things that they did in the gathered assembly. And they're going, it's happening. 
And they rightly begin to declare and uh, put words in their mouth, God's words in their mouth, and declare about Jesus. You see, they seem to intuitively know that the long-awaited one from David's line, this is so significant, is here. You see, the word Hosanna is a word of praise. It's a word of thankfulness, but it's very specific. It's a word of praise and thankfulness that salvation has come. It's a declaration of a, of a rejoicing that help is here. Hosanna often was the cry, the prayer, please come help save us. And now it's starting to incorporate by this time a moment of praise. So directed, help is here. Salvation has come. It's as if they're looking at the events in front of them. They're going, yes, <laughs> help is here. Save us, we pray. It's like sitting on that abandoned island because you've been shipwrecked and from the distance, the ship is clear. It's coming towards you. You know it's coming. It's blew the horn. It screamed at you. We're coming. And you're sitting on the, the shore and you're screaming, yes, help is here. Come. But you're still going to say, come save me. Because I believe with all of my heart, you're coming. This word of Hosanna is a, a, a clear declaration of praise, but it's wrapped up with he will save us. Help is here. Hope is not gone. This is no donkey ride. This is God declaring his kingdom, declaring salvation is here. You see, there's a lot wrapped up in this word of praise. You know why there's so much wrapped up in this word of praise? It's because it's full of hope. It's actually full of belief. It's a prayer. It's a longing. It's a cry. And all at the same time, it's a declaration of praise. Because the longing, the prayer, and the cry is wrapped up and being fulfilled. Right in front of them, help has come. So they rightly say, help is here, save us, we pray. Because you can. Because you're riding in on the donkey. And the Old Testament told us that victory was associated with this moment. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. You see, a lot is wrapped up in that. And see, this seems to be the posture of the crowd. Now, they're not quite into the city. That's a whole other response, right? But this is the crowd around Jesus acknowledging, okay, okay, we see what's happening here. We're, we, we, uh, we're smelling what you're laying down here. Seeming to have a sense that what he's orchestrating is a, a clear declaration of what is to come. Now, I don't know how many are in this crowd. It's kind of hard to say, but we can, we can capture with these words and phrases that the, the general belief and the feel of the moment is that the king, and not only just any king, right, but the king specifically who's from David, a lot of promises, go back to the beginning of Matthew. We talked a lot about that. Not only any king, but the one from David. There's another declaration that's clear that this king is going to be faithful and obedient to God. And oh, by the way, he's come to save us. That's the general temperature 
and the feel and the belief of the crowd. That's what uh, incites all of this praise. It's not just a donkey ride. But here's what's fascinating about this crowd, that they pay homage to him not only with praise, but with action. Their praise is chock full of deep understanding of what this event is, right? And they're very excited, as well they should be. But not only does the, the praise just stop there, but it moves into action. They begin to lay down their cloaks, perhaps a show of submission to Christ. Kind of like the, the moment of the red carpet being rolled out, right? The triumphal entry. Oh, that's what it's called, yeah. Because they're showing with their word of praise and their actions. They're just rolling it out. He's walking in. They, they cut branches. Perhaps a, a show of, once again, this regal moment, right? The king is coming in. Let's cover the ground. Perhaps there is a belief that victory has come. Wasn't uncommon for branches to be cut down when the king returned, especially after victory, to kind of throw it down and say, oh, he's won, we've won. Any way you slice it up, all of these signs are pointing towards salvation has come. The man upon the donkey is the savior, the king. So all of these signs that sometimes we get a little too wrapped up in, all they're pointing to is that salvation indeed is wrapped up in the one on the donkey. And so though all of these signs are pointing towards that salvation has come, we know what will be revealed (laughs) as Passion Week unfolds. You see, though salvation is here, and, and we know the rest of the story And so maybe even as you read this, it's hard for you to appreciate just what is happening in the moment because you get so fixated on, yeah, but it gets pretty rough in a few days. And so what this king has come to do and what Passion Week is going to unfold is that sin is actually pretty terrible. And that sin is actually the great enemy. And and, uh, victory to overcome this terrible enemy, it will require great sacrifice. To beat this terrible enemy requires great power. And you know the one on the donkey has it and is able to do it. So all these signs are right and they're declaring that salvation is here. What Passion Week will unfold is that sin requires tremendous sacrifice to overcome. But hey, the one on the donkey is able He is king indeed. You see, this, the work that Jesus will give himself to, this humble righteousness that he will give himself to, this obedience that he will give himself to in the coming days, it's going to prove to be difficult for the crowd. It's going to prove to be difficult for the many people that are gathered that day in the city. It'll be hard for this humble, righteous king who brings peace. But he's up for the task. What's amazing about this declaration of praise is that even in this triumphal entry, there's hints towards how tough this week is going to be. Look at the last two verses of, of this account, verses 10 and 11. 
And when he entered Jerusalem, that's Jesus, the whole, with the crowd, the whole city was stirred up, saying, who is this? And the crowd said, well, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. You see, stirred up is now what the city has done. So they've been outside of the city. The crowds are declaring who he is. He rolls up into the city, and all of this commotion by the, what the crowds are doing stirs up the city. This seems to allude to uh, a not-so-pleasant reception. <laughs> seems to make plain that perhaps some in the city are like, I'm not so sure about this. I hear you crowds, but I don't really know. And here's what's interesting about, and, and this is by God's grace, looking at the beginning of Matthew, now looking at the end, oh, it is neat to see the connections. Because at the beginning of Matthew, when Jesus is declared king of the Jews, what happens? All of Jerusalem was troubled. And now the king, the king is entering the city. And guess what? They're all stirred up again. You see, the crowd that declares right things, as they head into the city, these right things and this kingly procession actually bring some suspicion. Bring some obstinance in the city. Notice their declaration about Jesus, prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. You see, we actually looked at that statement about Christ during Advent. I encourage you to go back and look at that. Because once again, at the beginning of Matthew, he records that the prophets, plural, said that the coming Savior would be from Nazareth. The only problem is that no prophet directly said that. <laughs> so what we con concluded as we looked at that very specifically back at the beginning of Matthew, we concluded that Nazareth was a way to summarize what the prophets, plural, said about the coming Savior. You see, Nazareth is the exact best place for Jesus to be from because they, people from Nazareth, are despised and rejected. So here we're getting hints in all of the praise that there's going to be some stuff happen in the coming days. You see, here's how one scholar put it. Jesus captured just what some of the prophets, plural, had predicted. A Messiah who came from the wrong place, who did not conform to the expectations of Jewish tradition, and who, as a result, would not be accepted by his people. It's playing out right in front of us. The crowds, and then all the city. So there's a few who were in the crowd in the city where there's lots of stirring who are, who are puzzled. Puzzled probably a kind word. Perhaps they're angry of what is being said because they're not clueless to the words being said about Jesus. So they say, who is this? <laughs> How could this person on a lowly donkey, like, create all of this commotion? They're answered by those in the city, the prophet Jesus, the one from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, it's true. He is from Nazareth. Yeah, it's true. But it's also telling to, to say this about Jesus, right? Hosanna, 
son of David, like king is here, Hosanna on the highest. He comes in the name of the Lord to end the city. Who is this? <laughs> Jesus from Nazareth. And it's true, that is where he's from. But, but you, can we appreciate again the beginning of the week, uh, last week of Jesus' life, that, that this is also very telling of what is to come for Jesus. Yes, he will meet the fate of several of the prophets of old. And we know very clearly he will be treated like a Nazarene, despised and rejected. Hinted at immediately in his, in his initial entrance. Though despised and rejected, he is the prophet rightly understood. He is the one as prophet who speaks on behalf of God. And we could go so far to say he is the truest revelation of God. Right now in front of them, he is that. And also later in the week when all are rejecting him, guess what? He is still the clearest right declaration of God. As I reflected and thought through this text this week, it, it, it boggled my mind to think that Jesus' earthly ministry is summarized so well on Palm Sunday. He has come as the one and only fulfillment of the Davidic king, right? The Messiah, the promised one, the one who is anointed by God, the one who is the Savior, the one whose ministry has been prophetic. It's been clear on who God is. His ministry that is about to be very priestly. And his ministry as he heads into the city to where his firmly or his uh, kingship will be firmly established. In these few words, Christ is all prophet, priest, and king. So much is being unfolded. This is no simple donkey ride. But Christ is being put forward that there's some work to be done and I'm the one for it and it's happening right now. You see, Christ, his role as prophet has brought a lot of clarity to the people about God's faithfulness. Jesus has spoke with great authority because he is indeed God. This has made him uh, not so favorable to some. His life, even Palm Sunday, is a very definitive declaration that God is faithful and that God is fulfilling all of his promises of a coming Savior who would save his people and also establish his kingdom. This has been this prophetic work of Jesus declaring, speaking, and making plain all that God has done. Palm Sunday is this definitive declaration of God's faithfulness. It's Jesus continuing this prophetic ministry that he had, putting on display. You see, Jesus in this moment is on his way to do that all that God said he would do. But what will be so hard for some to stomach for some to understand, is that he will do all of this work as a priest. 
not offering bulls or goats, but offering himself. You see, he's mounted upon a donkey, humble, obedient, full of righteousness. But he's mounted, and, and he's the one who's going to bear the burdens of sins that we cannot carry. Because he does this, we have peace. This is the staggering reality that's going to be unfolded as Passion Week goes. He's declared it, prophetically made it plain. But what this week will reveal is he is indeed our greatest help. He is Hosanna. But it's going to come in ways they could never have imagined. That he, the king, lays himself down. He answers the cries of Hosanna with his very life. This is how he will save them and how he saves us. He is a priestly king. And his reign is full of peace. And his reign is of greater authority. And at the end of Passion Week, his power will be on display. There will be no question of his kingly authority, though some will still choose to question. But it will be on display. Do you hear those cries of Hosanna? Do you come this morning with those cries of Hosanna? full of both praise and longing, believing that the one upon that donkey is actually able. Sure, you may already be fast-forwarding, looking at Good Friday, thinking ahead. Sure, we know the rest of the story. We know that the praise turns to rejection. But for this moment, brothers and sisters, and if you're visiting with us, they are right. It doesn't matter that he will be treated with contempt in a few days. It doesn't matter that he will be despised and rejected because the truths declared on Palm Sunday are the same truths on Good Friday. The truths declared on Palm Sunday are the same truths that will be on display Resurrection Sunday. Jesus is our Hosanna. Jesus is our help. He is our Savior. He is our bearer of burdens because He is both divine and human. He is the priestly king, and He takes this great authority that He has. He takes this great power that he has, and he humbly obeys God the Father. You know, this declaration of Jesus as the prophet, well, he evokes something that Moses said all the way back in Deuteronomy 18. Moses looks at the people and he says, hey, a prophet will rise up like me. You know what is one exhortation is about that reality it's simple listen to him <laughs> even as he enters in for his last week something is being said listen to him listen to him 
Listen to him. The prophet indeed has come, the humble king who's going to do this work that is unimaginable. His simple words, listen to him. But it's often difficult to listen to him. Jesus orchestrates a moment at the beginning of the last week of his life to make plain, oh, Listen to me. I am indeed the response to the cry of Hosanna. I am your help. I am your hope. And nothing else can sustain, save, give you peace like I can. He's going to meet his death, and here he is orchestrating moments so that you and I could reflect back. Palm Sunday traditionally is a moment of praise, and let us sit in that and not get too far down the week, but to be grateful and contemplate how Jesus is the cry of Hosanna. As we begin our journey through this last week of Jesus' life, let us listen. (laughs) And he doesn't even have to say a word. He just rides in. And him riding in is like this massive, like, declaration. And then the crowd does it for us. Hosanna! Hosanna on the highest! He's come in the name of the Lord. And as we begin this uh, seven weeks, could we just pause and be grateful that Jesus is the answer. He is the response to the cry of Hosanna. You see, Hosanna is both praise and longing. We should listen to him. I mean, Moses gave us an instruction as we think about this week. That would be a great thing to do, listen to Jesus. And what's fascinating, he probably does the least amount of talking in some ways. He does definitely teaching, but what he says is pointed, profound, and what he is saying here, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Let us listen to the humble, obedient Christ, and let us rightly, in these next few weeks, let us rightly cry, Hosanna, as we consider his death, burial, and resurrection. You see, that is our best response. I pray that every time we pause and we reflect, that we just go, Hosanna. (laughs) Hosanna. I mean, it's such a common word to use every day, I know. It just rolls right off the tongue. But as we contemplate Christ, it is the right response. Oh, our help. Jesus is our only hope and help. he's, He's our Hosanna. For some of us in this room, I suspect, no, I know, this is not new news for you. But I'm sure, I'm convinced, it's a timely reminder for you. You see, that crowd is caught up in a realization that God is faithful. You see, that crowd is caught up in a glorious moment where everything they have been waiting for is being fulfilled. But in a few days, it's going to get really hard. 
for some of us, this is not new news. This isn't, this isn't profound. Oh, pastor, you're just so profound. But I'm sure and I'm confident it is a timely reminder for us. You see, there are difficulties. There are hardships. There are chronic illnesses. There are stubborn family members. There's obstinate co-workers. All of them pulling at our belief, questioning if Jesus really is the source of our hope. Can Jesus really help me? You see, these people that day, at least those in the crowd, you see, they have a strong belief that Jesus brings hope, that Jesus provides help. Now, those in the city, well, they get stirred up a little bit. They become suspicious of Jesus and his entourage. Where are you this morning? Full of belief, crying Hosanna, right? Mixture of praise and, oh, Lord, keep doing your thing. (laughs) Oh, save us, we pray. Help us, we pray. Are you this morning full of belief, crying Hosanna? Are you in this room suspicious? Leaning towards rejection. Does all of this talk of Jesus stir you up? Who is this man? Can he really help? It's fascinating how that side of the coin will rise higher and higher as the week progresses. And wouldn't you know, exactly as it was meant to be. For the king to do his priestly work. For the king to be able in full power to bring his rule and reign. This morning, brothers and sisters, Christ is your only hope. I wish I could make you believe that. I wish I could crack your head open and just pour that in and say, okay, it's locked in. But here at the beginning of the Holy Week, Passion Week, Let us rejoice that Jesus indeed is our only hope and he is our only help. Just because Good Friday comes around, it doesn't change that. And Good Friday gives way, what's where we get the phrase, Sunday's coming, gives way to he actually really is our only hope. This morning, if you find yourself suspicious, would you grab somebody? Maybe even all this talk of Jesus, for some of us it wells up inside of us and we feel rejoicing. But for some, maybe it causes bitterness. I encourage you, grab myself, grab Jared or other pastor, grab someone in the room. We love to talk more about Jesus is our only hope. How he's the answer to the cry of Hosanna. Let's pray. Father God, We are thankful for this time together this morning. We're thankful that as we consider, um, (laughs) I would assume in this room, a story that has been told multiple times in our lifetime. But, But yet this morning, would you give us fresh eyes? Would you give us a sense of rejoicing of all that is being declared as Jesus makes that last trek into Jerusalem? Father, may we cling to the realities and may we grab closer and tighter to Christ, that he really is our only hope. He really is our only help.
that Christ is the answer to the cries of Hosanna. And those cries of Hosanna are full of praise and longing. And Father, we ask that as we spend these next seven weeks together, our confidence in Christ would deepen. Our cries of Hosanna would grow more passionate as we think about you. So Father, it's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.